and welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. My name is Kaui Baumhofer. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's the signal for us to start, but it's 10.45, so I'm going to start. Um, I have my my ohana over here, my, my mom, Auntie Jackie, my uncle Sear, my good friend, Ikaika Bishop. From I've known him since, oh, 25 years. <laughs> He's recording me. Um, so I wanted to talk to you guys today about historical trauma and health. A little introduction. I'm an assistant professor of Indigenous Health Studies at the University of Hawaii, West Oahu. I'm starting a brand new Bachelor of Applied Science in Hawaiian and Indigenous Health and Healing. So um, quick little uh, plug for my program. We're going to, um, it was created in, in response to community need. They wanted a program that would help engage Western, future Western health practitioners with Hawaiian healing techniques. And the whole point of the program is to help us heal as a people from historical trauma and not, you know, to learn resilience techniques and healing techniques from our own Ike Kupuna so that we don't have to keep getting re-traumatized over and over and over again. And if we do, we'll know what to do about it. And um, so I'm, we're going to have, um, we're still building the program, but I'm going to have a whole health track, sort of a epidemiology, public health focused and a la'olapa'au track, we have a ho'oponopono practitioner, Auntie Lynette Paglinawan, that we've already worked with, um, and then also uh, Lomi Lomi. So we're working on building the program. Um, we're going to go live in a few weeks, which is really exciting. But um, in order to kind of talk to you folks about historical trauma and, and health and uh, racism, I wanted to tell you guys a story. Um, sorry, it's... A little emotional. It's about my students that I really love. Um, I'm teaching two classes this summer. I have one class, um, uh, Introduction to Native Hawaiian Health and Healing, and I have two classes. One of them are incoming freshmen. They're all from Waianae, Nanakuli, and Eva Beach. And um, the other class is uh, rising juniors. At the, Most of them are from Hawaii Island, all Hawaiian charter schools. About half of them are from... Um, um, Kanokaina in Waimea and Kekula Ehunuyo Kikai Molino in Kailua and about a handful from Kamaila Academy in Waianae. And um, I saw so I was up here last weekend and saw a bunch of them, and that was kind of nice. But um, so they come and stay on Oahu for about four weeks. So this happened not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. And we had our unit on social justice and health and protecting Vahipana, very relevant. And um, at lunchtime, I, well, I, I went home for the evening and I started getting emails about five o'clock from my students asking for, for my YNI students asking for extensions on their paper that was due that night. And they said, Kumu, we're really upset about this Mauna thing. We don't know what to do. We're, we're sobbing. We can't focus. We can't concentrate. Um, we need an extension on our paper. And I, I was almost going to give them one. And then my, my mother, who's a wonderful teacher and social worker, I always go to her for, for assistance, um, said, you know, you should make them write their paper. And I said, you know, mom, you're right. I'm going to, so I wrote them back and I said, you know what? I understand this is a really painful time, but we got to write this paper. This reflection paper is on social justice and racism and Hawaiian health. And I said, I want you guys to write this paper. And, um, and I told them, I said, 
This is not the time for us to fall apart right now. You guys going to fall apart every time, you know, the government tries to do something to us or every time we have something happen to us. It's going to be a long road ahead. So I want you guys to use this assignment as an opportunity to hone your skills. You know, we have this feeling in our now, we know this is wrong. We know when it hurts, but maybe we don't always have the words to articulate why. And so I, I asked them to, you know, please, please um, do, their, do their work um, and to write in their reflections, to deviate a little bit, write in their reflections, number one, why is TMT an example of institutional racism? Number two, why is TMT perpetuating historical trauma? And number three, I wanted them to bullet point three action, uh, personal action plan items for things that they could do to um, support the Mauna effort, even though, you know, they're all located in Nanakuli. But I guess um, I ended up, the only like half turned it in. So the next day I had to go talk to them. But I guess what happened was um, at lunchtime that day on Wednesday, they were having lunch with the Hawaii Island kids and they, you know, the Hawaii Island kids were very upset. Many of them have family here. This was the day that the Kupuna were, um, were being arrested the day that the governor had that press conference that said, you know, this was an emergency, that he was bringing pepper spray, baton, you know, police with batons. And I was grading while I was watching this on the live stream, and I, I had to wipe tears off of my paper. And, um, and so I guess at lunchtime, they were talking to the Hawaii Island kids, and they said, you know, the Waianae kids said, we, we know we, this, is, this is important, but we don't understand why. Um, why is Mauna Kea so important? Why is this, why is this so bad? And the, the Hawaii Island kids explain, Mauna Kea is our, Mauna Kea is our pico. And it's, you know, this is um, just another point of desecration. And so the, the Waianae kids, they started to get really upset. And they said, well, why hasn't anyone told us? Why hasn't anyone, they all go Nanukuli High School or, or Waianae High School. They said, why didn't anyone in school teach us this? Why weren't we told? And so they were mad. And then they said, and then they found out, oh, UH is backing the, the, the telescope. And so all of these Waianae kids, they're all incoming freshmen. They've all been admitted at UH West Oahu. They're all coming. They said, we don't want to even be part of this university. We're not going to do our homework. We don't want to come to class. We don't even like go to school anymore. They were really upset. And so I guess when they wrote me and I told them no, a couple more wrote me later and said, Kumu, you don't understand. You don't understand how much we hurt. And I wrote one back. It took me an hour. I really wanted to think about what I was writing back to her. And I said, baby, I understand. Believe me, I understand. This is your guys' first fight. This is your first time you're feeling these feelings. But we got a long road ahead of us. I said, I've been doing this since I was a little kid. And, you know, spending a lot of time on Koho'olawe in my 20s, um, being involved in other, other fights, I said, this is just one of many. We have a marathon, not a sprint. So I reminded them, you know, Kate, in your reflections, I reminded them that day, two days before, we had learned about um, the three different types of racism. So we have, you know, personally mediated racism, kind of garden variety, you know, person to person. Um, what we normally think of, we have internalized racism, which is taking the negative stereotypes of your own group and internalizing them and in turn, you know, reflecting that out onto people of your own group. 
And then I think, you know, I told them the most dangerous kind for us indigenous people, for us Kanakamali, is institutional racism, which is, which is when an institution or an organization or a government has policies or practices, procedures or laws that give the afford um, unearned privilege to one group over another. And that is exactly what is happening up on this mana. You know, I started to talk to them when I came the next day on Thursday to class and I talked to them um, and I said, you know, this is a perfect example of this. What, how is this telescope going to benefit us? You know, how can they spend all this money to build this telescope when we're living on the streets and dying of addiction? You know, how can they do that? That's institutional racism right there. And so I said, you know, to the point of historical trauma, um, I, I reminded them, you know, we have three, three stages to historical trauma. We have kind of this initial initial event or series of events that you might call colonization. So I have a question for all of you. When did colonization happen? Was it something that happened 200 years ago? Or is it something that's happening today? It's ongoing, right? So I reminded them, you know, we have this, this whole span of 200 years of this happening. And every time something new happens, it's another, another cut, another, you know, event. And then the second stage of historical trauma is this perpetuation of the violence. So when you have this, some kind of the initial event, whether it's um, Western arrival, the depopulation, um, the overthrow, the Great Mahele, the Bayonet Constitution, uh, the annexation, statehood, uh, you know, Kalama Valley, uh, Sand Island, Koholave, here. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Every, every one of those is another event of trauma. And, and each of those causes significant distress and sadness. We have depression. We have substance abuse. We have violence. We have neglect. And then we have this just this cycle. And when we've got kids growing up in that cycle over and over, over three, four, five generations, even thinking about my own family, having to face that difficult you know, the difficult stories in my own family and looking back four generations to my great grandfather who was, who was, um, you know, raised, born about the time of the annexation and the overthrow on Maui. Um, just thinking about my own family, it's very painful. And I understand now, you know, some of what's happened in my own family. And, um, and then we kind of, after a few generations of this cycle, we end up with what we have now. We have uh, health disparities. We have chronic illness. We have rampant substance abuse, rampant violence, rampant mass incarceration, homelessness, um, and just this feeling of, of sadness, of grief, of hopelessness. And I uh, explained to them in class that kind of the history of, of historical trauma um, was actually discovered with, well, not discovered, but but kind of thought up and developed uh, with the uh, survivors of the Holocaust and their children and their grandchildren. So this is really interesting that, you know, obviously if you survive the Holocaust, you probably are going to have some trauma. Um, but what doctors started to realize in the 60s and 70s was that the children and the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors were more likely to be depressed, to um, abuse substances, to um, have legal issues, social issues, and to ultimately die earlier. And so they kind of were like, oh, this is, uh, this is interesting. What, why is this? 
And then in the 70s and 80s, um, some American Indian um, scholars like Karina Walters, Bonnie Duran started to think, well, gosh, this sounds kind of familiar to what our population is going through. But ours happened, you know, two to five hundred years ago. And um, but it's with historical trauma, it's hard to measure. It's hard to pinpoint, you know, exactly what happened, especially for the tribes on the continent um, where things happened 500 years ago. I have a, a, a woman that I'm very close with, uh, administrator from my doctoral program, and she is an, an elder in the Massachusetts tribe. And she said, you know, Kaui, we've, we, we were colonized 500 years ago. We don't, no one speaks our language anymore. There's, a, there's like one Bible, so we know a few words, but that's about it. And she said, so, you know, you need to be so grateful that, that Hawaiians still have their language. I said, I am. Every day I'm thankful for that. I'm not fluent, but I try every day to learn some new words and to practice. Um, but with, uh, so, so some of the, the American Indian scholars created a, a measure, a scale, a questionnaire to measure the impact of historical trauma. Um, and they gave it to individuals who are in substance abuse treatment programs on the continent. And they asked them questions like, did any of your family, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, um, were, they, were any of them forced to not speak their language? Were any of them killed in a massacre? Were any of them buried in a mass grave? Do you know where your family is buried? Or were they, or were their bodies just lost? And um, and so maybe I think there's uh, 15 or 30 questions. And so when when they went through, um, and then they asked questions about the individuals' lives. You know, were you sexually abused as a child? Were you raised in a family with violence or alcohol abuse or, or uh, drug abuse? And they found that there's this huge link to things that happened 200 years ago to family members 200 years ago, to individual people's lives today. I mean, well, in the 90s when a lot of this work was done. And, you know, we think, gosh, um, how can that be? How can, how can that sadness roll over for generation and generation? But I think for Native people, we know why. We get it. And so, you know, trying, trying to measure historical trauma is a little bit difficult. With Hawaiians, there hasn't been... Um, a historical trauma scale that's been developed. I think there's been a couple of questionnaires that sort of try to get at that, but there hasn't really been a lot of research. So I tell my students, maybe one of you guys can do this and help us out, help out our people. Um, and But a, another way to kind of conceive of this, because historical trauma is sort of um, an amorphous sort of, sort of idea, um, it can be a bit abstract, I always talk about... Um, adverse childhood events and trauma in individual lives. And so we know that, that trauma before the age of 18 is incredibly damaging. There was a very large study that was put on by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente. Uh, the data was collected between 1995 and 1997, and they asked uh, several thousand uh, people about whether they had um, experienced some adverse event. And so adverse childhood events are either uh, abuse, physical, emotional, or uh, neglect, emotional, or, or physical, or household challenges, which included uh, separation or divorce of your parents, substance use, mental health in the house, violence in the house, incarcerated family member, or mother treated violently. I have a few issues with this, with this scale. As most researchers, we always have problems with 
everybody else's work, <laughs> but this is a really good scale. And um, so it was sent out as a survey and the results came back and about 36% of people who were surveyed said they hadn't experienced any of these, which is kind of surprising. And then 26% of the individuals said that they, they had experienced one of them, about 16% said two, 12% said three. And, and I, I always tell my students, you know, four is kind of when the clustering starts to happen. If you've got a couple of these, you probably have a lot of those in your household. Um, but, you know, so the next question is, well, how much does this hurt somebody? Um, if you experience one of them, you know, how much does this impact your risk of, of being depressed later? How much does this impact your risk of um, getting diabetes or becoming incarcerated, becoming depressed. And so the survey, um, when it was all finished and, and the results were analyzed, turns out that even having one or two can impact you neg your health negatively uh, a lot. And so if an individual says that they have experienced w just one of that list of things, you know, one type of abuse, one type of neglect, or one type of household challenge, your risk of identifying later as an alcoholic goes up by two, two of those. It goes up to four times more to identify as an alcoholic later in life than somebody who said, I, I've never experienced any of those. When you get up to three times and up to four or more, it was nine times more, nine times more likely. I'll wait till we get to suicide. One or two average childhood events wasn't that big of a deal. When you get up to three, 6.6 times more likely to have a suicide attempt, that's staggering. And that's just in the general population. This wasn't, this wasn't a, a study that was especially done on people of color or American Indians or Alaska Natives or Native Hawaiians. This was just in the general population. So imagine how bad that would be and how sad that is and to be watching your family members go through all this. Even, even seemingly innocuous things that wouldn't be connected, like your risk of getting diabetes. If you have um, four ACEs, your risk of diabetes goes up 1.8 times compared to somebody who didn't. Stroke, 1.6. Even having a broken bone goes up by about 1.8. How does, how does having childhood trauma increase your risk of breaking a bone in adulthood? That seems pretty... Like that's that's a little bit of an interesting an interesting link. Um, although when I, I was talking to one of my friends about it, uh, she's a recovering alcoholic. She's a Navajo, and, and I said, "Well, um, yeah, I was drunk one day and fell off a curb and I broke my ankle." And I was like, "Oh, well, that makes sense." But I never I never thought about that. Um, so I'm gonna check my my time here. I'm not. I'll probably stop about um, 11.20 or so. My mom's kind of cold. But um, so I, I, you know, we went back to class and on Thursday and I talked to them about, about, you know, how we need to, as a people, I said, you guys, you cannot, you cannot stop working. And then you blow that up into each little cut of historical trauma that we have now as a people, I said, you guys, we cannot fall apart. You got to keep going. You got to keep working. This is an opportunity to, um, to hone your skills, to be able to communicate why this is Heva, to understand not only that Ike Kupuna and, and why this Mauna is so important to us and essential to our identity. This is, this is not just some piece of land.
this is our, our kupuna, this is our church. And, and I said, but, you know, it's, it's important to know that, but also to have, to come prepared with, with data and research and a really deep, deep understanding of, of the theoretical mechanism so we can talk not just to, you know, our, 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 our Lahui, our people, but to anybody. And I told them that, you know, part of being, we all talk about what is an activist. And so one of my students said, um, being an activist is being a rebel. You got to be prepared to, to break the rules. And I said, yes, that's true. That's great. But not all the time. Sometimes being an activist is becoming educated, being able to communicate verbally, um, you know, in written, in written form, being able to talk to people and also being able to talk to people who don't agree with you. I said, that's actually probably more important is being able to communicate with individuals who think that's just a mountain, that's just rock. We need to be able to talk to them and tell them why this is wrong. And, and I said, you know, you guys weren't sure that I understood. And one of them said, yo, Kumu, we don't, you don't understand how we feel. We're so upset. I said, no, I do. I've been doing this for years. I said, I understand this is your first time feeling this. But part of me making you write this reflection and do this work is to help you push through that. You think if, if you had a chemistry test tomorrow, you think your teacher going to give you a break on your exam? No. But you're going to fail that exam. And then what? You know? So I said, we all here, everyone in this program, we all Hawaiian. We all here at work today. I said, yeah, I was crying yesterday, grading papers. I was crying on the phone with my Kane last night. You know, seeing how upset you guys were talking to him about the governor's press conference. But I still came to work today for you guys. And I think, you know, they, they got in and the next week um, and they knew I was um, coming up here. I told them, I said, um, I hadn't told them before, but that day on Thursday, last Thursday, I told them um, I was coming up to the Mauna and... Um, and some of the Hawaii Island kids in the other class were, were up here. So last Saturday, last Sunday, I was up here with them. And, um, and so when I came back, I said, all right, we're on Monday, we're going to talk about your reflections. We're going to talk about your personal action items that I wanted you to write. And there was the, the march on Oahu last Sunday um, in Waikiki. There was also um, a sign-waving event organized in Nanakuli that some of the ones who couldn't make it to Waikiki, they went to the Nanakuli one. Um, and so I said, Monday, I want us to all debrief about this. I want you guys to talk about what you did, because I don't want to just stop with historical trauma. I don't want to stop with how wrong this is. I want to talk about resilience and healing because, you know, we don't need to just only concentrate on the negative. We need to start thinking about how do we move forward? How do we come together and unite to heal? So um, I came up here and um, spent a little time up here last Sunday and then, came back on Sunday night, went to class on Monday, and I said, I said, all right, you guys, what did you guys do this weekend? Oh, kumu, kumu, we went to the march, went to the march, we chanted ikumau mau, and I was like, hey, how was it? Was it awesome? I remember this guy and I over here, we used to chant ikumau at school, <laughs> in high school, <laughs> sitting at our bench with our friends, just people walking by, kumau mau, kua, <laughs> but, um, and they were all excited and jazzed and they made signs and they were, you know, yelling. And one of my students, um, 
who's an incredibly talented artist, made uh, a digital logo that I've seen some folks on Instagram using as their profile picture. It's a red red background with the, the yellow, the, the flag, and then the mount on the bottom. And um, she made that. And, like, I've seen people use it on Instagram as their profile. And, like, kind of went viral. And they made the hashtag EK is greater than E-gay. And I was like, these are my kids, man. Like, that's awesome. So the one who made the logo, she goes, oh, miss, miss, I made this in your class. I said, well, pay attention in class, but good job. And there's a there's a Manapua shop in uh, Waipahu on Oahu called Honolulu Kitchen. And they picked up her logo and they, they airbrushed, like custom airbrush on the Manapua. And they posted it on their Instagram. She goes, look, look, Ma- Honolulu Kitchen put my logo on a Manapua. And I was like, yeah. So I was super excited about that. Yeah, I know, right? I should have I should have brought a couple dozen up. But um and so we all went around and a lot of them said, you know, we're going to be we're going to try and educate ourselves so we can educate others. Um another one had said she tried to talk to a friend who doesn't have the same feelings as her and she said, you know, we kind of got in a fight. And I said, well, you know, um there's a way to kind of approach this when you're talking with people who don't necessarily agree. I think a lot of us, we want to go straight into the spiritual route that this is sacred land, but that might be too much for people. So maybe we start with the environmental impacts. Maybe we start with the social political, you know, medium level social political. And then up at the, then when they kind of get comfortable and they start to understand a little bit, then we hit them with, this is Vahipana. This is essential to our health as people. Not just as Native people, but just as human beings. This is our DNA here. And and so she said, okay, okay, I'll try and talk to him again. I said, good. And um, so they all went around and a lot of them were just um, so jazzed to, to finally have some of the tools to take a stand, to do something, to fight back, uh, but fight back with, with aloha. And so they were asking me, we kind of, after we went around, they said, um, you know, Professor, how, what was it like up there when you went on Sunday? How was it? And I said, well, I was only there for a couple of hours, but I said, you know, you guys, it was aloha. That's all it was. I said, there's no drugs, no alcohol, no fighting. Everybody was, it was busy. There were lots of people around, but there is just a feeling of love. And I said, there is a couple of aloha up there and it was being practiced. And I said, this is, um, I said, one of the one of the things that I think Hawaiians, one of our legacies and, and the way that we're going to save the world from this little, you know, archipelago is through aloha. And that's going to be our, our pathway to healing. And I was like, how many of you guys are, I asked him, how many of you guys are aware of what's happening in Puerto Rico this week? And some of them said, you know, they raised their hands. And a couple said, well, what's happening? So, well, the governor's... Um, made some mistakes and, and some people want him to resign, but I said, they're rioting in the streets. It's like, there's violence, there's tear gas. There's like, you know, it's ridiculous. It's there. Things are blowing up over there. And they said, wow, you know, and they were like, Oh, are Hawaiian protests like that? I said, no, in all of my years, in, in all of my, my years of, of being an activist myself and of studying, um, protests and, and, you know, civil, civil, um, organization, community organization for in the events before I was born, I said, I've never heard of a violent Hawaiian protest. Um, and even thinking about, you know, the queen's legacy of, of abdicating 
so that there wouldn't be Hawaiian bloodshed or anybody's bloodshed. I was like, that's our legacy. That's our road to healing. So I was like, this is the gift that we have to give to the rest of the world in order to heal ourselves and heal the rest of the world is through Kapu Aloha. And so they, I think they were kind of like, oh, you're right. You're right. Our gift is Aloha. So look at my time again. 11.15. Does anyone have any, any questions or comments? We've got kind of some, a little bit of time. How long have all of you been here? Yeah. Since it started? Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed to, to be able to come here. And um, I was sitting in the medic tent last night, yesterday afternoon, and uh, ran into one of my, my colleagues. I used to work at the Department of Native Hawaiian Health at the medical school, and I ran into her in the tent. And, um, and we were all asked, you know, why are you here? And, and I said, well, I'm here, um, to, to stand with you and to stand with your Ohana. Her, her, her and her parents are in the Kupuna tent. And I said, you know, I have a lot of Ohana here. Um, I should have introduced that in the beginning. I'm, my Ohana is the, the Levi's over in Waikoloa and the Hong's and the Levi's over in Hilo. Um, but I have a lot of ohana here, but this isn't, you know, I'm from, I'm from Oahu. I'm from, um, Aiea and, but it doesn't matter, you know, what island we're from, what island we live on now. It just matters that, that we're here and we're unified and we're doing this together and that we're doing this together in love. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to see my, my students or, or my future children to be in a, in a world where they have to, you know, not have their, their sacred places. Um, even last week I was, I was here with my, my partner and he's, he looked up at, at the telescope. He's from the continent and he said, Oh my God, are those the telescopes? And I said, yeah, yeah, we were driving in Hilo. And he was like, God, couldn't they have even painted them brown or blend in or like something like was white the cheapest color paint? <laughs> and I'm like, right? That's like the least they could do. So, you know, even, I think even people who, who don't have a sense of, um, of why this place is so important can, can be able to become allies and we can talk to them and explain to them, you know, bring them to places like this, um, and bring them in and bring them in with love. And, and that might, you know, I think if each of us try to make make an effort to, um, to speak, just talk to one person. And, you know, everywhere I'm kind of going, I, I had, um, I had a doctor's appointment last week and, and he said, well, why were you guys, you know, up, up at, on Big Island? I said, well, celebrating my birthday and my students had a big paddling race, but, um, and he said, oh, did you, you know, gosh, did you get stuck in some traffic with the, with the Mauna? And cause I told him I, I was coming up here and, and he didn't realize I was coming up here to be here. And he said, oh, did you get, you know, was there traffic? I heard there was, um, there was big traffic. I said, no, there's no traffic. I said, that's actually what I was going up here for. He said, no, he was kind of like, oh, you know, a little not quite sure what to say. And, um, and I just was real honest about it and said it was, it's not what the governor says. Um, you know, and, and I, I explained to him how hearing the governor say call this an emergency and and talk about the police having 
having pepper spray and batons, I told him, I said, that was really, really difficult for me to hear as a Hawaiian. And he didn't quite understand that. And I said, and the reason why it was difficult was because there are kupuna in that tent that I know. And I have, you know, friends in there with their, with their family. I have students in there who have family in that tent. And I said, that's, you know, they're, they're elders, my God. Like, how would you feel if, if the governor dragged your elders away? And I think, you know, to try and get him to, to feel that, to see that from my, my standpoint was important. That's an important step in, in, in healing from historical trauma is to have, is to help people understand. But in order to do that, we need to be able to communicate why and, and, you know, come together and just show love to everybody. Um, in case anyone didn't hear, some of the Manawas, we always talk about PTSD and, and war and how U.S. history is just one war after another, even the war, war we're in now, 19 years. Um, but we don't often talk about the civilian side where the people at home still experience the war. And, um, oh, yeah, so just the difficulty with, um, with coming home and, and having to being this, this, you know, trauma, we were kind of talking about that last night with the sense of like hypervigilance and always kind of having to be on guard. And, um, that's actually a really good point. Um, so we have, you know, evidence that there's, there is a psychological, um, some psychological, you know, challenges and some anxiety that can even come from being, from being at home and, and being experiencing a war and, and, but also, um, just, just the, the effect of stress on the body. Um, I'm a social epidemiologist, which means that I try to understand how social characteristics like your ethnicity or your gender or your sexuality or, or where you, um, how much schooling you've done, how that might affect your risk for getting some diseases or dying early, uh, kind of based on where you end up living or where you end up working or how you end up eating. And, um, so I'm, I'm very much interested in how do we embody our, our stress from our environment and how does that manifest in disease? So, um, I'm writing a paper right now with, um, some colleagues on the East Coast about allostatic load. And allostatic load is a, a biological stress measure. When your body is under stress, there's like 20 different things that we, people measure it differently, but we're using, um, a collection of 20 different biological measures. Um, heart rate, blood pressure, um, um, different uh, immune immune uh, compounds in your blood that you can measure. And it basically says, you know, how much stress is your body under? So what we're looking at that is how that's related to the amount of discrimination somebody, somebody um, faces. And so we're looking at kind of chronic, you know, minor kind of everyday like, you know, just little things or major things like this, major things like on the continent, African-Americans having to deal with like in Jim Crow time um, and then job. And we just got a new round of analysis uh, yesterday and I haven't had time to read it. But we're finding that, you know, African-Americans are people who are more likely to experience discrimination. So we're just looking at African-Americans and whites um, are way more likely to experience discrimination. And also their their stress levels, they've got this constant hyper you know, vigilance, this level of their baseline level of stress is just way more. And that's all of those, all of those, you know, your immune system decreases, um, your, your, uh, heart has to work harder. 
even your lungs have to work harder. All of these systems in your body are, are affected by that, by that amount of stress. And I think, you know, for, for, um, you know, folks even at home, like who have, who have a, a vet coming home or for us just living even on Oahu, you know, having to watch this and having to deal with, with this process of colonization or even hearing our, our native places have, you know, being, um, our names, the names of our places not being used correctly, like calling Pearl Harbor instead of Pearl Harbor, um, calling it Pearl Harbor instead of Pu'uloa, all of those things cause that stress, just that little, you know, even if it's just a, a dozen little things a day that make you clench your stomach and just, ugh, that's all affecting our bodies. That's making us more susceptible to all sorts of diseases. Um, and, and ultimately early death and, but I don't know if that probably didn't like super like answer your question, but how about you? Okay, thank you for bringing this up. Exactly. And it's very real. So the comment was that, um, you know, there are, there are folks here who, who have, who have kids or, um, who are up here and they're afraid that their kids might get arrested and trying to warn them like, Hey, just stay, you know, maybe stay on this side of the highway. Don't, don't go there. And, and, but you know, families are going to, they want to be there because that's important. And even last night we were talking about, um, a lot of guys here, you know, the, the main crew, the folks who've been here since the beginning, they're tired. This is stressful. They're getting worn down. You can see on their faces and even just walking around, taking my mom walking around for 20 minutes yesterday. I heard three people say, I, I have a lot of anxiety. I, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm worn out. You know, this is hard work. That's why I told my kids, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is going to take years. This has been happening for years. And, um, and, and so that, that level of worry, that level of anxiety that we're having to deal with day after day, year after year, that's breaking our bodies down. That's, that's, you know, that's why we're seeing these. That's why, you know, Native Hawaiians are, are two to three times more likely to be obese. Uh, why we're two to two times, two and a half times more likely to have diabetes and all sorts of other stuff. Accumulating resilience or awareness. Um, so the question was, what are the best practices in terms of uh, accumulating resilience or awareness? Um, I think, I think participating in in action like this, where this is peaceful, it's loving. Um, you know, my 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 mom was walking around and she said, "Oh, everybody was so nice to her. They offering to walk her to the Kupuna tent, and you know, it's it's a." Uh, this is very loving here. I think being in this kind of environment where we're able to kind of take, you know, take back some control um, and have some hope to see this kind of unity. You know, I'm telling my friends back home, this is very organized. We have a medic tent. We have Lomi Lomi. We have art. We have sexual health. We have a university, which is awesome. And, you know, we've got food. We have water. We have um, donations. We have, we have everything here and this is peaceful and we're all united. Um, but in a, but obviously, you know, we can't do this every day specifically with native Hawaiians to be able to do this. But, you know, I'm just thinking about in the sense of like anecdotally or e- using, EK. um, 
practicing your your culture, you know, staying on the land. Um, if you have, if you can build an ahu, pray there, um, and do that as a daily ritual. Wake up and 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 do naomakua many days. I haven't done it so much since I moved home, but when I was living in New England for four years, every morning I woke up and I just had to do naomakua just to center myself for that day, or ehomai, um, just to keep myself grounded. Um, visiting, I. I'm not much of a, a ocean girl, more of a Makai girl, so I like to go hiking a lot. Um, when I'm not up in the mountains, in the forest, I get real anxious. Um, so being up in the forest with with um, with the, the kupuna, with the omakua, like, that's, for me, that's what helps me, you know, remember that that what really matters is we're not going anywhere. We're here. We're not going anywhere. No matter what happens up there, up on the Mauna, the Mauna's still going to be there. Mauna's going to be there for thousands, tens of thousands of years more. And I think, you know, we're going to do all we can to protect her, but our Aina is still going to be here, and we're still going to be here. Thank you for listening to us on Native Stories. If you have a story you would like us to tell, or want to sponsor a future podcast, location story, or walking tour, please email us at info at nativestories.org.